and his wife. But first and foremost, this is a poem about God's never-changing, passionately committed, persistent, forever love for his people. That's why this poem describes a love for you, whether you're married or single, whether you're straight or gay, whether you're 12 years old or 112 years old. And we all need to know that we are loved. I had a lunch with a, an old school friend this week. We're close for blokes. We meet once a decade. Anyway, he's everything that I'm not. He came to lunch on his Ducati. For some of you, you need to know that's a motorbike, not an ice cream. <laughs> we sat at a trendy cafe, surrounded by other trendy people. They probably all designed bespoke furniture, which is what he does. He, he has a website, which is simply his name. And yet, he told me recently that he said to his wife, I think we just need to feel loved. Those are his exact words. I think we just need to feel loved. And he even admitted to me that the kind things that he did for other people were so that they would tell him how lovely he was. But perhaps that's you this morning. Maybe you're not yet a follower of Jesus. Well, ask yourself whether this love in this song attracts you. And if you are a follower of Jesus, this is the love that should move you above all else. Because last week, if you remember, our married girl had turned her man away from the bedroom door, not moved by his love. But then her heart changed, and she went to look for him, and he'd gone. So to reassure herself, she reminded herself of their wedding vows, their wedding night. Chapter 6 and verse 3. I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. He browses among the lilies, which is always erotic in Song of Songs. Now listen to how her lover speaks in response. And this teaches us firstly of Christ's persistent love. Look at 6 verse 4. You're as beautiful as Tisra, my darling, as lovely as Jerusalem, as majestic as troops with banners, or literally as awesome with banners. Oh, the garden city of the north, the golden city of the south, you are awesome. Like the splendor of trooping the color on a sunny day, you take my breath away. The French may say, elle est formidable. That is you, my darling. Verse 5. Turn your eyes away from me. They overwhelm me. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from Gilead. We've heard these compliments before on their wedding day. The shimmering hair like the dark, distant flock of goats on, on the hillside in the sunshine. He, he goes on to talk about her perfect smile in verse 6. The, the veil of the day remembered the smooth skin of her face like pomegranates. He says to her, my darling, you're as precious to me as the day we got married. Look down at verses 8 to 9 with me. If I could have my pick from all royalty, if I could choose any woman from the harem, if all the girls in the world were before me, you're the only one I've got eyes for. Of all the women that there are, you are perfect, unique. Blessed with beauty. Other women, just they just praise you. Verse 10 might be what they say in praise. 
Who is this that appears like the dawn, fair as the moon, bright as the sun, majestic as the stars in procession? Or literally, it's exactly the same phrase, awesome with banners. Oh, you bring light to my life. Like the rising dawn sun, like the gentle full moon, softly glowing in the night, you take my breath away. Did you see there's nothing erotic here? He speaks of her face. He speaks of her place in his heart, her powerful effect on him. You turned me away from the bedroom door, but I do not want you for your body, but for your beauty. I don't want you just for my gratification, but for your gracefulness. I don't want you for sex as much as I want you to be my soulmate. Oh, there is much to learn, husbands, from this lover. He doesn't hold a grudge. He doesn't demand penance. He doesn't remind her of the night before. He, he doesn't say, never, you never. He doesn't say, oh, you always, you, you always. You like me? When we come to the discussion, those phrases seem rather too familiar. He doesn't say, we've only had sex once this month. No, he loves her because he loves her. He sees her the way he first saw her. He's more interested in how he makes her feel than how she makes him feel. So with gentle words, with familiar compliments, with the same sweet talk of their young love, he reassures her. Do you remember that verse we've seen again and again in Song of Songs, Ephesians 5.25? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. And he doesn't hold a grudge. He doesn't keep a record of our wrongs to be used against us the next time we fail. Husbands, are you determined to treat your wife as Christ loves the church? However she treats you. Because you're called to a marriage that's not a bargain between two people, where you each have to keep earning your love by your good behavior under the constant threat of rejection. You're called to a marriage that is a reenactment of the gospel in which Jesus gives himself for his bride, his people, the church, us. And then he determinately loves us, persistently loves us, for better, for worse, when we're rich in love to him and when we're poor, when our faith is healthy and when our faith is sick, he loves us. And Jesus always wants to reassure us of his love. Assurance is such a precious thing, a safe place to dwell in. Now, the Bible is a history of God's faithful assurance. He is repeatedly rejected, but he persistently pursues his people in love. And when God wants us to know that he loves us, he always takes us back to the place where Jesus spoke his vows, to where he paid our bride price, to where we first saw how we are loved. God always takes us to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. God demonstrated his love for us in this, that whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Whilst we are still sinners, Christ died for us.
The Lord Jesus says, I love you as much as the day I died for you. I love you as much as the day I bled dry for you. I love you as much as the day I bore your punishment for the way you fail to love me. Nothing has ever changed about my love for you. I love you with a persistent love. Look at what happens in verse 11. It's most likely the girl speaking, not her lover, in her imagination, searching for him again. I went down to the nut gro- grove of nut trees. I looked at the new growth in the valley to see if the vines had budded or the pomegranates were in bloom. Earlier in the song, blooming vines and pomegranates were a sign that time for love was here. Would she still find them? Would she still find him? Verse 12, before I realized it, my desire set me among the royal chariots of my people, or literally, I was beside myself, and then suddenly I was swept off my feet. In my imagination, I was in the chariot beside my king, but my heart was at rest. So so does your heart need to rest in the persistent love of God for you today, in the Lord Jesus Christ? Because Jesus says, I am the faithful lover of your soul. You did not earn my love, so you cannot lose my love. He says to us, to the church, you are my beautiful bride. You are the apple of my eye. You are the one I delight in. But but you know what? There is a still deeper love in this passage. But because we see now not just Christ's passionate love, Christ's persistent love, but but Christ's passionate love. Look at verse 13. Look as the the lover speaks. I I think, again, this could be the lover or friends. Come back, come back, O Shulamite. Come back, come back, that we may gaze at you. Return, return, come. Did you know where Shulamite comes from? Shalom. Solomon comes from the same place. Shalom. We've seen the word means peace. It's bigger than that. It means wholeness. It literally means the most perfect experience of living under God's perfect love. Come back. We want to gaze upon you. Why? Why would you gaze upon the Shulamite, they go on? Why would you gaze on her as at the dance at Mahanaim? Mahanaim is the place where Jacob in Genesis 32, a character in the Old Testament, met the angels of God. Perhaps she's going to dance the dance of an angel. And as she does, well, her lover admires her. 7-1. How beautiful your sandaled feet, O prince's daughter. How graceful legs are like jewels, the work of an artist's hands. From toe to head, he admires his princess. If you run through the verses with me, he says, you're the one made beautiful. Her body, a divine sculpture. Her love-making, never running dry. Her rounded waist, fertile like the fields. Her breasts, tender, soft like young fawns. Verse 4 Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are the pools of Heshbon by the gate of Bath-Rabin. 
Slender, strong, your neck, elegant, eyes crystal clear, sparkling, inviting her nose. There was a young girl from Shulami who had a nose like an enormous salami. Whenever it blew, so much snot at it flew that she shook the earth like a great army. Unlikely. More likely, you stand proud, looking down your nose at your enemies, like we would look down from the towers of Lebanon on our borders at our enemies in Damascus. You're a woman of standing, not you have a big conch of noble bearing. Verse 5. Your head crowns you like Mount Carmel, Your hair is like royal tapestry. The king is held captive by its tresses. Literally, your hair is purple, the color of royalty. It's so black, it shines with an iridescent sheen. It's so beautiful, it's captured the king. It's bound him to her. It's wrapped up her love in her locks. Verse 6, how beautiful you are and how pleasing my love with your delights. Just think about Christ and the church. If this is true, the church takes Christ's breath away. Can this be true? When the church is made up of me and you, but he has made us beautiful by shedding his blood so that we are the joy of our perfect God. The church takes Christ's breath away. It almost feels blasphemous, a young man said to me this week, to say that God loves us like this. So often I think we think God loves us out of charity, because he should, because he has to, because that's what God does. But Christ wants us to know that he loves us as a groom loves his bride on their wedding day, with passion, with desire, with intimacy. So so we're not like the the rented crowd invited to Harry and Meghan's wedding who get to stand on the outside of the celebration to cheer from the sidelines as they go by. No, we are invited to the heart of Jesus' wedding. In fact, we are the main event. We are the bride of Christ, according to the Bible. And on that day, when we go to be with him in a perfect new creation, listen to how God describes his people in Isaiah 62. This is what he says about us. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or your name, your land desolate, But you'll be called Hephzibah, and your land Beulah. For the Lord will take delight in you, and your land will be married. As a young man marries a young woman, so your builder will marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. That's the future Christ came to give us. Not a begrudging welcome into heaven because God loves us, but a God who rejoices over us, 
who takes us as we are and then makes us what we should be through the power of his blood shed at the cross and through his spirit poured into our hearts and he delights in us. And he wants us to know the fullness of that love. Just as the king wants to know the fullness of the love of his bride. Verse 7, your stature is like that of the palm and your breasts like clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb the palm tree. I will take hold of its fruit. May your breasts be like clusters of grapes on the vine, the fragrance of your breath like apples, and your mouth like the best wine. If God can use such erotic language to describe his love for us in Christ, then our love is to be passionate. We're not to see sex as dirty, though the world has soiled it. We're not to see sex as secondary, though the world worships it. We're to see sex as beautiful, like the God who created it, within marriage, between a man and a woman. It's not wrong to buy the roses, turn out the lights, put on the track. It's divine. It's not wrong to write the card, to light the candle, to slip in something more comfortable. It's divine. It's not wrong to whisper sweet nothings, to give tender caresses, to long for her touch. It's divine. But the best examples of our human love will only ever be a shadow of the more glorious reality, a taste of the feast to come, a marred expression of the divine ecstasy that the love of Christ will be for us when we see him face to face. And you see, when you experience love like that, a persistent and a passionate love, it doesn't just sweep you off your feet. It causes you to surrender your life. Because lastly, here is Christ's people's love. Look at verse 9 with me to her response. And your mouth like the best wine, may the wine go straight to my beloved, flowing gently over lips and teeth. This is a no sordid love island game. This is the beauty of sweet love shared. I belong to my beloved And his desire is for me. In chapter 2, verse 16, she said, My beloved is mine and I am his. He browses among the lilies. In chapter 6, verse 3, she said, I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. He browses amongst the lilies. And now, literally, she says, I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. Into his love she gives herself. Into his passion, she commits herself. Into his commitment, she submits herself. Verse 11, Come, my beloved, let us go to the countryside. Let us spend the night in the villages. Let us go early to the vineyards to see if the vines have budded, if their blossoms have opened, and if the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. Love given in the country. Love given in season. Love that offers everything to its lover. In a recent survey, 68% of couples said they'd made love outside on holiday. It's only natural. Chapter 7, verse 13. Follow it with me. The mandrakes, the love apple, at our door its choice fruits 
old dreams and new discoveries stored up just for you, my beloved. I wish I'd always known you like a brother. I wish I could kiss you openly like I could kiss my brother in our culture. I want to take you home to give you what my mother taught me should only be given to my lover. Not just my wine, but my spiced wine. Not just my pomegranates, but the nectar that I have squeezed from them for you. Verse 3, his left arm under my head. His right arm embraces me tenderly. Eyes fixed on mine, holding me securely, holding me close. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. She said the same thing in 2.7. She said the same thing in 3.5. She said it then as one yet to experience the trials of love. But now she speaks as one who knows love costs everything. Ephesians 5.22 says, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Sounds like a recipe for subjugation, for bullying, for abuse even. But wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. Sounds like giving yourself in love. I am my beloved's. Giving yourself emotionally. Giving yourself physically. Giving yourself passionately. That may have been the case when you first wore the ring, when you first walked down the aisle, when you first woke up next to him when you first watched him get out of bed. But now, is it time to say once again, with my body I honor you, all that I am I give to you, all that I have I share with you? But more importantly for all of us, the question is, have we said that to Jesus? All that I am I give to you, all that I have I share with you. I am my beloved's. I belong to you. You see, Christian love doesn't just grab from its Savior, it gives. Christian love doesn't just draw security from his commitment, it commits. Christian love doesn't just celebrate his service, it serves. See, being a Christian is first and foremost about love. Your love for Jesus. And loving Christ is not just using him. And loving Christ is not just coming to church. And loving Christ is not just claiming his love for ourselves. Loving Christ is loving him in a way that changes your life. More than marriage changes your life. So let me ask you. Christian love. Do do you love Jesus? Do you want to store up acts of love for Jesus? Do you want to love Jesus in a way that means you can't get him off your mind? To love Jesus in a way that means you can't get him off your lips? To love Jesus in a way that you're more excited about Jesus than even football? Don't worry, we're on time. So let me ask you, do you know you're loved? That's where we start and where we finish this morning. Do you know you're loved? 
my brilliantly successful, enormously trendy, beautifully dressed, fantastically married, happy friend this week, said to his gorgeous wife, I just think we need to feel loved. Do you know you're loved? Persistently. That Jesus will always have you back. Whatever you do. And the cross proves that. And do you know you're loved passionately? That God doesn't just forgive you. He delights in you. That God doesn't just love you because he has to. He rejoices over you. And he wants you to know even greater intimacy in your love with him. And if you're not yet a Christian, can I tell you with absolute certainty, there is no one in the entirety of creation throughout the whole of history who will love you like this. And if you know this love, do you love him? Do you love Jesus? That is the question I ask myself more often than not. Do I love Jesus? How can I love him more? Is he not just a fact I believe in, but my first love? Not just a faith I have, but the reason why I live. Not just a label I attach to my life, but who I am. Is he the one who I say, I am my beloved's? Have I given myself to him because he desires me with a persistent and a passionate love? Do you love him? And if you're not sure, well, you need, like our lover, to go back to how he has loved you daily, hourly, consciously with a passionate and persistent love.